0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could. But how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made. And by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi.
2: Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined by author, speaker, and entrepreneur, Dr. Julian Hasp. Dr. Hasp started his career as a professional athlete first in basketball and then in kite surfing. Simultaneous to his professional run as a kite surfer, he completed a medical degree, after which he launched a global business enterprise. It's through this enterprise that Dr. Haas provides training and high-performance coaching to individuals and businesses around the world, teaching what he's demonstrated time and time again how you can achieve and replicate success as you transition from one high-performance career to another. Today's episode will focus on three areas that Dr. Haas identifies as being key to achieving and replicating success at a high level. We'll talk about mastering time management, personal finances, and The Courage to Change. Dr. Hasp, I'm so thrilled to welcome you to the show. Thank you for joining us from your home country of Austria.
3: It's such a pleasure to be on.
2: I'd love to start with your coined smart shortcuts. You refer to yourself as an expert on smart shortcuts. Tell us what that term means and why smart shortcuts are essential for high performance.
3: Um, I would love to explain that in as part of a story because I always feel that stories are a bit clearer to understand. Um, And the story is, imagine there's a man always walking outside and he's super thirsty. And suddenly he sees a dripping uh, water hose that's dripping with water. And so he goes there, he drinks some water and then he thinks, oh, that's so great. You know what, I'll take that water hose, I'll just rip it out and I'll carry it with me because then I can drink water wherever I want. And I mean, we all know that this is a stupid idea Because a water hose that's not attached to the actual infrastructure that's behind the wall, the water hose doesn't work. And so what basically I try to figure out is by asking people who have done all these great things already, okay, so how can I kind of rip out the water hose, but while still having all that infrastructure behind, so basically actually making these shortcuts work, because if you just would rip out the water hose you would have a non-functioning water hose. (laughs) And so this is applicable in so many areas and especially in those areas that you mentioned before, like time management or personal finance or making decisions.
2: It makes sense. It's that whole notion of, you have to also look at the context in which you operate and identify what are the conditions in which you can thrive. And you're talking about really having a tool chest that you can take with you no matter what you're doing to support your success.
3: Totally. And I think one of, I mean, th- making a mistake can be extremely stupid, especially if you could have learned to not do that mistake by watching or listening to someone else. And that's what I really tried to do in my life, to listen to and, and watch very smart people and try to analyze, okay, so what was this way that they took to get to where they are? And are there shortcuts along the way that are smart, smart shortcuts that don't basically leave out the, the infrastructure, but you kind of... Put away all the things that are not needed for you to get to where they got.
2: And this is so important in the areas of transition. When we think about, for example, the career that you had as an athlete, and there are many people who are successful and find great joy and fulfillment in a career. And for athletes, they're pretty young oftentimes when they're ready to move on to something else. And it could be a really confounding experience. And the question is, how do you replicate that experience of fulfillment and joy and passion and achievement in another opportunity?
3: That is uh, such a good question. I think a really important question. I think at the end, it comes down to, again, watching others and maybe, and, and they have, I mean, there's so few things that have not been done before. So most of the things that uh, myself or probably most of the people listening, there are other people who have done at least similar things before. And so what you can always do is you can look at these people and by the law of cause and effect, if you do the same things, you're going to get very similar results. And so basically you look at, okay, so for me, it was the same thing when I transitioned from being a medical doctor into doing business or doing, going from sports into being a medical doctor. For me, I always ask myself, what did other people do and what were their results and at what age did they do it? And what did they end up with? What were the factors that influenced them? And so I think this is so important that anyone can do this. You just look at what do other people do and what did they do at this stage? And you try to see where did they end up? And do you want to end up there? Well, take the same path. You don't want to end up there? Very simple. Take a different path.
2: So in your case, when you went from kite surfing into medicine, who were the kinds of people who served as examples to you? Were they people who were in similar disciplines?
3: Um, for me, it was a different discipline. It was a ski jumper, actually. Um, it's in Austria, in Germany, it's a very famous person. His name is Tony Innauer. He won a gold Olympic medal in ski jumping. And I kind of consulted with him, and I asked him, and I said, at what age does it make sense for me to transition out of the sport? And he basically told me, there's only three great times you can transition out of the sport. The first time is you do it extremely early in your career, and you do this because you switch to something where you see the suit you better. So you have to do it really, really early. For me, this was passed already because I was in professional kite surfing at that stage for almost 10 years. So this was not an option that I could transition. The second transition would have been to be at your peak, so when your career is at the very, very peak, and that's when you transition out. And the third transition would be that you kind of let your career get to the end, and basically at the end, you take your experience, you take all your knowledge, and you kind of transition to something else. And for me, I kind of picked a very good point looking backwards, where it was just after the peak of my career. It was slightly after, and most people... I think they didn't feel that it was slightly after because I just had released my latest book back then, The Kitesurfing Fictionary, and I had a lot of press, I had a lot of media coverage. And for me, it was a really, really good time. But I knew if I would have waited six months longer, then I would have totally been on a downturn. My My body got older. Uh, my joints started to ache. So I thought, it, I thought it was a really good point. And those three points, those time points in, in your career, I, I really appreciated those getting this advice.
2: So I hear your comment, essentially, learning from other people, you pretty much choose the people you really resonate with, the ones whose example you think you can benefit from because it fills in some of the gaps in the questions that you're asking yourself.
3: Totally. And I think one of the biggest mistakes uh, we all do is we many times listen to the person who shouts the loudest. But a person who shouts the loudest doesn't necessarily have the biggest experience, or doesn't have uh, the most, the best experience, the best opinion. That person might have an opinion based on him or her failing, and thereby telling you advice based of him or her failing. And this might not always be the best advice for you, because maybe that person acts out of an interest of fear rather than acts out of an interest of actually really getting being fulfilled or creating something wonderful. And so, I think it is really important that you kind of understand. The person you're listening to, is that, does that person have a good interest for you, for your future, or is that person acting out of his or her own interest? And that sometimes takes a little bit of time to see. And the second thing, I prefer listening to people who have failed a bit in their career, but also have then used that failure to create success. And so I always look at that a little bit. If someone never had failure, it's really hard for that person sometimes to kind of embody or or, or show empathy for someone who might be struggling in a certain situation because for them everything comes so easy. And I hardly ever listen to the person who shouts the loudest. So this is a person that I always kind of try to push aside and I always kind of dig through. So if I look for people to listen to, these would be my three criteria.
2: You're looking at the motivation of the person. What is their purpose in offering you suggestions, and also what track have they run on, so to speak, if they've experienced situations in their own lives that match some of the milestones that you're facing and some of the challenges that you're facing.
3: Yeah, you're totally correct, yeah.
2: I like what you said about this breakdown also that turned out to be helpful to you as you were considering your opportunity to change looking at whether you're in athletics or in any profession, the different opportunities that you have to transition. In some cases, you might call it an early transition where you're doing really well at what you're focusing on at the time. Maybe you haven't reached your peak performance around it, but on your radar, you've come across something that you think is gonna be a better fit for you at that time and maybe moving forward. And then you have the opportunity also to transition at your peak and toward the end of an experience like you said, where you're feeling some of the aches and pains of years of using certain muscles,
3: yeah, totally. and I mean in my following career in medicine, I kind of unintentionally I used the same principles again, um, because for me, I transitioned out of that career really early, like right after the first year of practicing as an ER physician i transition out of that and went into the business world because I kind of saw if I I looked at the other doctors and I saw where they are heading to or where they were where they already were and I realized okay I don't want to end up where they ended up I wanted to end up somewhere else even though anyone listening don't get me wrong I, I really highly respect the profession of a medical doctor and I think many people are extremely happy it just it didn't make me happy, and so I knew that, and so that's why there I transitioned out really, really early, because I, I, I felt this was not the path that I wanted to be on for the rest of my life.
2: It seems also that you would have had a perspective that though that was an experience, those were skill sets, knowledge base, that you would be able to carry forth in different ways, that there was value to that experience, the value wasn't lost, because you decided not to pursue medicine as a career.
3: I wish I could have I would have had the foresight back then to explain that to my mother who was <laughs> so devastated that I I quit being a medical doctor, which was her her biggest pride. <laughs> yeah.
2: Right. And that's a reality I would guess that many people face. When you're making decisions like that, they're certainly gonna affect the people around you, those who are close to you and you might have some fallback. From that standpoint, that really tests your resolve. And pushes the envelope on maybe some of the self-doubt that you're experiencing yourself.
3: And, and that's such a good point because I give so many talks and, and, and speeches on making decisions and making life-changing decisions. And, and how actually difficult it is to be in that very moment to take that decision and what to look for to kind of assure yourself. And I mean, you're never going to be sure in that moment that you are on the right track. And one of those things is to look at other people who have walked that walk and have faith that if you do the same thing, you're going to end up at a similar place. But if you are, or when you are in these in these mm-hmm. moments, I mean, all that breaks apart almost because you feel this intense pressure from other people and you kind of disappoint so many. And then you're kind of disappointing in yourself and and, and this is so important to, to really understand that everyone feels the same in such hard decisions, especially when it comes to change. You feel uncomfortable, you make other people uncomfortable, and you have to handle that pressure if you want to have these, these life, uh, th- these really big changes in life.
2: We have a few minutes left for this first segment about daring to change. Is there anything else that you would add regarding these last points that you're making around the pace of the transition that you're making, and also overcoming pressure from your surroundings?
3: I think we, we really covered it all. I think to summarize, it's really important to understand that everyone feels similar when it comes to these big changes. There's no one who's going to deal ha, have an easier way of dealing with it than others. So it's, it's going to be really difficult, and you just have to push it through. And that brings me to the second point. If you don't know why you want to push through, you're just not going to, and you're going to get back to your old routine. And the biggest or the easiest way to know if you are on the right track is simply to look at other people and look at the track they went on, look, look at what they had to go through to get there, and then be committed on doing the same thing. And you're going to end up at a similar place. And this is a good chance for you to know you're on the right track, if I could summarize it in three easy points.
2: It makes sense that you're looking at other people as a reference point who have been able to achieve successful transitions. One thing that I would add to that, given my work in partnering with individuals on transitions, some people feel like they've already been in a situation longer than they needed to, that they reached the expiration point a little while ago, but somehow they had trouble responding to it. They kind of let things go a little bit. And in those situations, certainly people can make positive transitions. As you've been referencing also, it's really important just to take a look at the signs, the indications that the expiration point has come and to start to take some action.
3: Yeah, I, I don't have much to add to that because I totally agree with you, yeah.
2: So, it's a perfect place for us to go to a quick commercial. When we return, Dr. Hospital, talk about some of the issues that might impact your ability to manage time and how you can master this skill. Stay with us for more.
4: Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy.
4: Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page.
2: Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, speaking with author, speaker, and entrepreneur, Dr. Julian Hasp, who joins us virtually from Austria Having transitioned from professional-level sports to global entrepreneurship while attaining a medical degree, Dr. Hasp offers tips on the process of successfully changing from one high-performance career to another. In this segment, we'll focus on another key skill that's critical to achieving and replicating success, time management. So, Dr. Husb, you have a really interesting global perspective on time management, given that you've worked, lived, and traveled in different parts of the world. So, I'm curious to hear what you've learned about time management, both through your experience as a professional athlete and also through the global high-performance coaching work that you do.
3: For me, the word time management, it really didn't pop up on my radar until the first time when I kind of felt I was self-employed. Um, when I was a professional kite surfer or when I was a medical doctor, my schedule was pretty much laid out. It was either that it, as a kite surfer I had to go to events, I had to, I had, I had, sponsor, I had companies, sponsors that I had to work with, and it was pretty clear what I had to do and, and how my day was kind of be. And whenever there were, there were off times, I just chilled and I could relax. So it was pretty straightforward. And as a medical doctor, it was the same thing. I had to be at the hospital at 7 a.m., had to work, I don't know, until 10 p.m., and then I repeated the same thing six days a week. And so there was never a question of time management. But suddenly, when I transitioned into, the, in, into what I'm doing now, being self-employed, running my own business, suddenly I had 24 hours a day, and I was in charge. And when I kind of had this challenge at the very beginning, and it's now around five years ago, I was totally overwhelmed and I was totally not prepared for, wow, having 24 hours and me having to kind of put sense to these 24 hours. And I actually titled a blog post uh, the hardest thing uh, when going from being an employee to being being self-employed. And the hardest thing for me is proper time management because it is so hard suddenly to distinguish between what's important and what's not important but is urgent. Uh, how do you kind of structure your day? How do you say no to things or people? How do you pick priorities? And you mentioned this before. For me, it was so interesting to see differences also in cultures and in countries uh, to see Americans how kind of they prioritize certain things and how in Europe people prioritize things or how people in Asia, where I'm based now, how their priority is totally different. And so I, I thought that was uh, very interesting to see, and also from a learning process,
2: extremely helpful. It's such a key point that you're making, and so many people experience this if you're, you're in an educational environment for so many years, and like you said, there's, there's an implicit structure that's in place, not even an implicit, <laughs> there's, there's an actual and very clear structure that's in place, and then when you're self-employed, you need to come up with your own goals, you need to come up with your own path. And people can be very disoriented when they don't have that framework. And when you realize that actually you need to decide on what framework you're going to put in place. And as you're saying, there's so many variables that come into play that your environment can have a very big impact on what effective time management means. Where, whether it's cultural norms, depending on the country that you're in, the climate, as we had talked about before the show, can have an impact. Norms around work life balance. So, what are some of the lessons that you would share?
3: Um, great question. And uh, I mean, to me, it first starts with a key question, and everyone has to answer. And, and it doesn't matter if you're an employee or self employed, you're running your business, you have to ask this question uh, yourself. And I would ask this question every morning, I would ask myself every week, I would ask myself every month. And this is the, the question is, what is truly the most important thing that I want to achieve right now? What's truly the most important thing that I want to achieve right now? And this is my number one priority. And this is how the entire rest of the day, of the week, of the month, of the year has to be structured. It has to, it, it's not allowed to have disturbances. It's not allowed to have these urgent little things pop in. And I'm going to give you some examples so you can understand what I mean. So this is the key question you have to ask yourself. And if you are kind of asking yourself this question in business, the next question you have to ask yourself is, okay, so how is my personal life linked to that? And how is my own health linked to that? Because to me, these are three areas, business, personal life, and health, that many times uh, the priorities are not 100% clear. And so and I learned this. Uh, the hard way, I learned this by looking at different cultures and, and getting smacked around by these different cultures. Just to give you a small example, if you are, for example, in Asia, many cultures in Asia are extremely work-driven, and everything is, everything is less important than work. So work and the job and the career, it's the number one thing, because uh, many people in Asia define themselves through money, through their career, through their mission, in their, in their job or in their own business. So the other two areas, their health or their, their personal life, is totally secondary and, and a third when it comes to the ranking. Now, for example, you come to Europe. and Europe, you have a lot, a lot of time where uh, health, for example, is a lot higher, especially doing uh, leisure activities, going up on the mountain, uh, doing these part-time activities. When I, went, when I spent time in the U.S. and I was there in high school and I look back, to me there, what was so fascinating was how, for example, sports played such an important role compared to so many other things. And I've not seen this in Europe again. I've not not seen this in Asia. So this is such an interesting fact. And around this priority, this is how the time management gets structured. So, for example, I'm going to give you an example of how my time management is structured. For me, relationship in my personal life is number one. It doesn't necessarily mean that I spend the most time in this. It just means that, for example, if I and my fiancé have a date arranged or we have a special event or we have a meeting where we have, let's say, a relationship dinner or relationship lunch, nothing else is going to get in the way. And if I have a business emergency, well, it's going to go second. It doesn't mean that we have these dates every day and we kind of have them every month or something. No, we have them maybe once every fortnight, once every week, but then they are non-negotiable. And I don't know if anyone listening to this has this as well. I, I kind of learned this from, it is a Swiss guy. He is an expert when it comes to relationships and he kind of analyzed what made relationships work. And it was the, the focus on priorities on time management in your relationship. So it doesn't matter that you spend a lot of time in your relationship. It just means that you put priority on it and you don't kind of shift around. And this is a good question you could ask yourself right now. When was the last time you met with your better half and you made it a non-negotiable? And I think this is such a good part. It comes to when you are in your job or in your business, what is your number one focus in there? And you're not going to negotiate around it. It means, let's say you have a preparation for a presentation for tomorrow, or you need to get a, a sales presentation done, or you need to prepare for a meeting, or you need to prepare for, I don't know, whatever you have to work on. Well, is your phone on during this time? Are you checking your emails? Are you having other disturbances coming in? If yes, you are not putting your number one focus on what you have to do actually at the moment. And then what happens is you're multitasking, you are kind of messing up your focus, you're messing up your energy, and where focus goes, energy flows. So you kind of strain that energy, and that's what you don't want to do when it comes to time management, because time, as far as we know so far, is not multipliable, it's not really divisible, uh, you, everyone has the same amount, and so you really want to use that wisely.
2: It seems that you adopt a research-based approach. You're taking really a look at what are the best practices when it comes to relationships. What are the best practices also when it comes to how you're able to be productive? Like, for example, the idea of multitasking. Research shows that it's more productive based on how the mind is wired rather than to attempt to do more than one thing at a time to shift, just simply shift your focus from one thing to another. So as you're saying focusing on one thing is the way that you can demonstrate to practice that you're prioritizing something
3: totally and i mean my research-based approach it it really comes from uh having gone through medicine having gone through uh six years and then of work and so on so i mean that's in my that that's in me i i want to have this this research approach because to me, if I, I don't know, if I've done research on something, I can be pretty confident if it has helped thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of other people, I can be pretty sure that it's pretty good stuff. If I do something just because I have a good feeling with it, I might be right, but I might not be right. And so that's why I have this, this approach. And, and I think, I mean, it has helped me so far pretty well and in all my coaching and, and when I work with people, I always get the same feedback. I, I get the feedback of, "Wow, you you are right." And I say, "Well, you don't know yet. Test it, try it out, and then if, you, if it works, keep go keep going with it. And if it doesn't, come back and we kind of change the approach. And and that's I think what is the really great part when you do it more research based or evidence based rather than just yeah kind of going with the gut. Which I'm not against. I, I think a gut feeling is great, but I think in some things it's really good if you look at uh I don't know what what what, what does the research say?
2: And whether you're going with your gut or you're going with research, as you're saying, either option is viable. It seems that underlying what you're talking about is that you need to establish a base of clarity that serves as a foundation for your decision making. And that also creates peace of mind. Because if you're asking yourself, what is the most important thing I want to achieve right now? What's my clearest priority And then how do my personal life and my health link into that? It helps you to be able to attend to the different facets of your life, to be able to allocate time and effort to each one so that you have an organized mind.
3: Yeah, totally. And I mean, if anyone's listening now and they say, okay, that that sounds so great, but uh, where should I start? And I get this question so much, the question being, okay, so what's the most important thing when it comes to time management or what's the most helpful tip you can give me when it comes to time management? And I had to look for that tip myself because I was really curious. What I found out is the best tip when it comes to time management is get up an hour earlier. It sounds so weird, but if you have to get up an hour earlier than you normally get up. And I always used to be a fan of getting up really early, but then I realized there's a lot of people out there that if you get up too early... They're just not functioning well. They are not people who like to get up early. They prefer to work late. And if I have someone who loves to work until 3 a.m. And I kind of make them get up at 6 a.m., they're just not going to function well. So I'm not saying of getting up early during the day. I'm just saying get up an hour earlier than you normally get up. And if that's not enough, get up two hours earlier. Because what happens is the following. First of all, if you want to get up an hour earlier, you need to have an idea of what you're going to do during this hour. Because otherwise, you're going to get up and you sit there and you're like, well, I don't know what to do right now. So you're going to go back to bed and you're kind of not getting on on with your goal. So you have to think about what you really want to do. And you're not going to do it if it's not important to you. Probably also, if you're getting up an hour earlier than normal, you're going to have less disturbances. Because the traditional disturbances come in when you are normally up because these things kind of adapt to your lifestyle. So you get up an hour earlier, you have less disturbances. You have to think about what you really want to do during this hour, and you have to get going with it. So, uh, suddenly you have to ask yourself this question. What do I want to do during this hour? And probably you want to do something that's going to be productive, which is going to be your number one goal that you want to get to. That's the second thing. So, you're going to get stuff done during this time. And the third thing, you probably have to go to bed an hour earlier, which means that you're probably not going to go out, drink, or party with friends or, or waste time watching YouTube because people don't watch TV anymore. They watch YouTube or they watch Netflix. So you don't spend so much time doing this. You actually want to go to, go to, go to sleep. And if you don't, don't manage to go to sleep on the first night that early, well, I tell you, on the next night, you're going to be more tired because you just got up an hour earlier. So you're going to be more tired. You're going to get to bed earlier. And if you do the cycle and you, this might not be enough, maybe you have to do it two hours earlier, you have to go to bed probably two hours earlier. And suddenly you're going to structure your day in a total different manner, in a way more productive manner. And your time management just went from maybe zero skill to, let's say, six out of ten point skill. And that's a big leap. And that's going to push your productivity into another atmosphere. So that's what the key, key, key core tip that I have.
2: So we have a couple of minutes left before we need to go to commercial. I'd like to talk a little bit more about these points that you're making. It sounds like they really are coming back to those issues of prioritization and focus. When you're talking about not being married to a particular schedule that has to work for everyone, that you need to focus on where when you're really at your best. And for some people, they function better early in the morning, and other people might function better at a different, uh, different time of day setting up, waking up an hour earlier, going to bed an hour earlier. Can you give an example briefly of maybe through a client you've worked with or your own experience, what are some activities that you might do in that hour related to a key priority you have?
3: Sure. Um, really interesting. I actually, just before before we went on this, uh, on this call, I, had, I worked with a client and I didn't work with him right now on this anymore because this is salt but is now a couple, I think three months ago, and he's in a relationship, he's actually married, and uh, he always thought that he and his partner uh, wanted to do sports together after work. Well, it didn't work for her schedule that well, and for his schedule, it worked really well, and so he constantly tried to push to go to do some sports together after work. Well, I said, why don't you guys do it before work? Why don't you get up earlier? And he said, well, you know, Uh, We're kind of tired in the morning. We don't want to get up and it doesn't really work so well. Well, I pushed him to say, you know, go to bed earlier, convince your partner to try it out. You can try it out for a week. If it doesn't work, you get back to your normal schedule, which is not working anyway. So what's there to lose? Either you're going to stay with something that you have already or you make it work. And so funny thing, he tried it out. He got up an hour earlier. The first two days they were struggling. From day three on, they started doing their workouts together in the morning. He was happy. She was happy because it works with her schedule. Well, we jumped on another coaching call, and he said, great, Julian. What, can, what else can we do? And I said, well, I don't know what you do normally after work. Well, he's writing a book at the moment. So I said, you know, why don't you start writing this book before work? You get a lot more stuff done. People aren't up at 4 a.m., so you're not going to get disturbed. But if you do this at, I don't know, 7 p.m., People are going to try to call you, they're going to chat you, they're going to try to disturb you by, hey, do you want to go out with us, do you want to have a beer with us, do you want to have fun with us, and you're going to get distracted. But if you get up at 4 a.m., which is going to be really hard in the first couple of days, but if you kind of get used to this rhythm, it's going to be normal for you, and you're not going to stay up until 10 p.m. because you're going to get tired if you only get six hours of sleep. So probably you're going to get to bed at 8 or 9 p.m. to have more sleep. And then he told me a question, and, and uh, he asked a question that was very powerful. And he said, well, but am I not going to miss out a lot with my friends? And then I said, well, you have to know for yourself what you truly want right now. You don't have to have this schedule that you have right now for the rest of your life. You just need to do it to get your number one thing done. What's your number one thing at the moment? And he said, well, it is doing sports with my, with my wife, and it is to get my book done. And I said, you see, here you have it. If this is what you want at the moment, then this is how you're going to structure your day, and this is how you're going to make it happen. And after your book is out, well, in six or nine months, you can go back and you can relax a bit. You can go out more often in the evenings. You don't have to stick with that schedule for the rest of your life, but you have to do it when you really feel you need to get stuff done. And I thought that was such a powerful thing, even for myself, a good reminder, to kind of know, you know, this question of, am I not going to miss out or what other people are going to think? Uh, you have to ask yourself in this very moment, what's really the number one thing that you want to achieve? And then you have to adapt the surroundings to that.
2: Beautiful example. You want to take a look at what's important to you at this stage. What are some of the things that you may not get to if you hold off on them till later in the day? Bring them to that earlier part of the day, that hour that you'll wake up early. We're going to go to a brief commercial. When we return, Dr. Hospital share tips on another topic that both reflects and affects your ability to flex your high-performance muscles. Personal
4: finances, stay with us. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy.
4: Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. We're back. I'm
2: Hemda Mizrahi, joined virtually by author, speaker, and entrepreneur, Julian Haskell. In sharing some of the lessons he's learned through his success in transitioning from a career as a professional athlete to that of a global entrepreneur, Dr. Haas discussed how you can improve the critical skill set of time management. This segment will focus on another crucial high-performance topic, personal finances. Dr. Haas, how do you work with your coaching clients on this aspect of success?
3: Basically, I... I I always love to work with people the same way that I kind of experience the topic myself. Um, Because I feel that if you take away a certain experience, uh, people might not get the same lesson out of kind of going through the same process. And for me, how I really learned about personal finance was when I lost all the money that I had at the age of 22, because I thought I was smarter than everyone else. And I kind of, was the luckiest person on the planet, and I could just do whatever with my finances. And I just lost it all in a really stupid transaction when I tried to buy some real estate in Brazil. And uh, it was then that I learned that there are actually three skills to finances. And if you don't master these three skills, you're probably going to struggle for the rest of your life. And these skills sound so easy, but if you never know them or they're not conscious, you don't apply them consciously, you're going to struggle. And these skills are first skill, you need, to earn, you need to learn to earn money. And I think most of us learn to earn money, at least to a certain degree. There's people who are better than, it, than at it. There's people who are not as good at it. But I think most of us learn how to earn money. Then the second skill, and I hadn't learned that skill until after 22, was keep your money. And it sounds so simple, but actually keeping your money is such an important skill. It's, it sounds so silly, but it's so important. And the third skill is send your money to work get your money to work for you, multiply the money. And I think we all kind of know these things, but if you kind of break it down that simple and then you learn how to do each skill, then you really get good, you, then you're really going to get good at it. And that's when you're really going to master your finances.
2: Is there a tip that you can offer about each one of these? The first one you talked about is earning money.
3: Totally. Um, when, when it comes to earning your money, um, I personally just learned... That if you try to sell your time for money, you're always going to run out of time. So this sounds easier said than done, but I always believe that anyone in today's society should try to earn money in a side business or try to earn money on the side. And this can be anything you do, but you kind of want to learn how to get more independent from the job that you're in. Chances are you're going to have the resources to do so. You just have to commit to doing so. If you're truly making so much money that you say, well, I make so much money already. For me, it's more about learning skill two and three. You are maybe part of the lucky one or 2% in the world who really have such a high paying salary. Most of us don't have that. And most of us have the resources to earn a bit of money on the site.
2: Is there an example you can give of that?
3: Um, An example would be that with most of my coaching clients, I always sit down and I talk to them. uh, What would be options, how you could earn money on the site? And, At the very beginning, most people, they sit there and they're pretty clueless. And they're like, no, I I work already at my job. Uh, That's all I do. I don't have any more time. I don't know how to make money. And so I always lay it out for them. And I say, look, there's various ways how to make money. It doesn't matter whether you try to what you're doing already. Maybe you can sell this service or you can sell something in that area online or you can provide that service to friends. Of course, it's legally allowed in your contract. Maybe. You have really great expertise in a product, and maybe you want to sell this product on Amazon. Maybe you want to source that product somewhere, import it, and sell it on Amazon. Very nice way to make a little bit of money on the side. You don't need to make a full-time income, but a couple of hundred bucks on the side that's great. Uh, Maybe you can learn about how to do affiliate marketing if you don't want to deal with your own products at all. Maybe for those that are interested in that, maybe you want to do a network marketing business. For those that have a bit more startup capital, why don't you do a franchise? Why don't you... Uh, if, if you can afford that, if you are really keen on truly starting a business, why don't you try to go to some meetups or meet some other entrepreneurial people and, and work with them on a, on a side project in a business? There's so many options. It, it's, not, it's not that you don't have the resources. You have to become more resourceful to kind of get the infrastructure on making money on the side. And when I do this with people, suddenly they realize, oh, okay, most of the time, it's just a lack of knowledge that I don't know how to do these things. But you can learn these things just by simply going on YouTube and watching some videos on how to start an Amazon online business. And I'm just giving an example right now. And to give you a concrete example was, or is, I have actually a coaching client, this girl, who didn't want to do any product-based business. So she just became an affiliate. And she started her own blog about health and wellness. And she is marketing other products and she's getting an affiliate commission of that. She doesn't make I don't think she makes more than 1,000 euros so around $1,000 a month, but she makes around that kind of, uh, uh, around that money. And for her, that's a really great side income.
2: And it's also very different psychologically. When you know that you're in, in, earning an income that at least more or less covers the basic expenses, then you have a little bit more flexibility mentally, a little bit more availability to start to explore and to learn what it takes to launch a side effort and you have a little bit more time because realistically, when you're launching a new experience, a new en- endeavor, it takes time to build profit from it. So even if you're starting small, then it's just considered to really to be a bonus when you have something else going on. Whereas if you're focusing your full-time efforts on entrepreneurship and it takes time to put the building blocks in place, that can be a lot more stressful. Yep. That
3: brings us to skill number two and skill number two is, how to keep your money. And keeping your money is actually quite simple. You just have to do it. What it means is, if it, it's not about how much money you earn. It's really about how much you keep. And the only way you keep money is by carving out a chunk from everything that you earn, and you put that on the side. And there's such a great book. And I read that book after I had lost so much money. And the book is titled The Richest Man of Babylon. And it's a very thin book. Anyone can get it. It's a very easy read. It's It's old English, but it's very easy to read. And basically, it's about this man who became the richest man of Babylon, and he explained how he became the richest man. And the story goes, he became the richest man because for every 10 gold coins he earned, he put one gold coin aside, saved it, and put it to work in an investment. And what it basically means is that he, from any dollars he made, he put away at least 10%. So you make, let's say, $2,000 a month. Well, you put aside $200. And if you are like most of us, you're going to have the feeling and you're going to cringe and you're going to say, I can't put away $200 from my $2,000 check. I don't have that kind of money. Already at the end of the month, I don't have enough. Well, then welcome to the club that we're all in. And that club is, try it out for the first month. you're going to be totally amazed how it's going to be possible if, and that's the key, if you automate that process, So let's say your check comes in on the third, well, on the fourth, you're going to take out that 10% and you put it aside into a savings account or into something else that we're going to talk about in skill three, and you you don't see it anymore on your bank account. It's basically like a tax that you put on yourself, or it's like you put something into the IRA. It's just you put it aside in your mind. It's not there anymore. And then you will see it's amazing as it is, and everyone shares the same experience. At the beginning of the month, nobody believes it's going to work. But at the end of the month, you're going to be amazed that kind of the same amount of money is left over if you would have had the extra 10% or maybe you put 15 or 20% aside. And this is how you keep money. This is such an important skill.
2: It's the human capability to adjust, right? If you don't see it, if you think that you don't have it, then you can make do without it even when you thought you couldn't.
3: Yeah, totally. It's such, such a good, wo- such good word, yeah. And what about
2: the third skill that you mentioned is connected to this 10%, sending your money to work?
3: Totally. So what's going to happen with that money that you put aside? Well, you have to send it to work, right? And so how do you send it to work? Well, and I'm not a financial advisor. I want to be really upfront here. Um, I just want to share some experiences that I learned that the best people in the world kind of learn, And even Warren Buffett, uh, who is the richest investor probably out there, shares this tip, and he has this bet going on with other hedge funds, uh, hedge fund owners and hedge fund managers, where he was betting that traditional ETFs, exchange-traded funds that are extremely low cost because they are just run, it's an algorithm that trades after an algorithm, are beating these hedge fund managers who charge 2 or 3%, and they're really expensive. And so these ETFs that everyone, you and me, can invest in is winning over these expensive hedge funds. But these funds, and it's not necessarily hedge funds, it's also mutual funds and all these funds, these are the ones who are being marketed and promoted to us as a consumer, because this is how banks and investment advisors make their money. And I don't want to say here that banks or investment advisors are bad people. That's just the, the instruments that they use to make money themselves, and that's what they promote to us. So one thing that I would never do is Don't go to your bank and don't go to an investment advisor to ask them what to do with those 10 or 15 or 20 percent that you save aside every month. What you should do, and this is, again, I'm not an investment advisor. I'm just telling you what I am doing and what you can copy. Either find a very good fiduciary. Now, a fiduciary by law has to act in your interest, and he's going to help you put that money into ETFs. I totally believe in ETFs and the smartest people in the world, if you look at them they believe in these ETFs or uh, so you talk to a fiduciary and you ask him or her how every month, those 10% you're going to put them into really low cost investments that costs are guaranteed returns are not guaranteed. So you want to keep your costs low. So they're going to help you how to do this or there's also a service and I'm not affiliated with them in any way. Um, Just every coaching client I have, I advise them to work with them and it works out greatly. They are a really large company it's a company called Wealth Front. Again, I'm not affiliated with them, and you can go on Google and you can do your research, please. Um, you, and they, what they basically do is, you would in, uh, transfer your 10% to them every month, and you can you do an assessment with them how how high is your risk tolerance, how, what's your age, and when you plan on retiring and so on, and then they adjust a portfolio for you out of these ETFs. Very low cost. I think they charge 0.2% per year, which is extremely low. I mean, this is really as low as it gets. And they automatically, they diversify your investment, which is really important because you don't want to have too much risk. You want to hedge your risk there. And they automatically do that for you. And so if you invest your 10% or 15 or 20% every month, either through a fiduciary or through a service like Wealthfront, you're really going to do well over time because you're going to have this compound interest effect. And you, you're going to diversify your investments and you're going to be doing really well. The key here is this. If you don't automate that system, so if you don't automate the 10 or 15% out of your paycheck and you automatically transfer that into your brokerage account where, from where you're going to invest into those low-cost index funds, your emotion is going to come into play and you're going to block that and you're not going to have that automated process that's going to get you to your financial security through the system. And that's one thing that I had to learn through a really painful experience and so Again here, making mistakes is stupid if you don't learn from other people so if you don't learn from my experience here, you really shouldn't be losing that money so be be really wary here and and do a little bit of your research, but kind of follow those steps one after one
2: You finished that last key point
3: right at our wrap up, so I appreciate
2: that and I know you mentioned you don't have a vested interest in Wealthfront, so we recommend also that you can Google Wealthfront and other alternatives to explore those options in terms of automating your finances and getting your money to work for you. So thank you so much, Dr. Haas, for these concrete, practical, tried-and-true recommendations and examples.
3: It was such a pleasure.
2: I'd like to also encourage listeners to pick up more of your high performance coaching tips by reading your book, 25 Stories I Would Tell My Younger Self, which is available on Amazon. And leave Dr. Hosp a review when you have a chance to read his book. You can learn more about his speaking and high performance coaching services at julianhosp.com. That's J U L I A N H O S P.com. And also his other website, 25, that's the number 25, stories.org, O-R-G. If you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode, I welcome you to share them by emailing me at hosthemda at gmail.com. You can also share them by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. Until next week. Remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page.
1: Thank you for tuning into our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then.